This is The Defrag, I'm Christopher Lawson. Back in February, we spoke about Mark Zuckerberg's big vision that everyone would want to spend time in the metaverse. Back then, we were just a couple of months into Facebook's metamorphosis into meta, and it was a little difficult to predict how things would be received by the public. But we're now a full year into Meta's transition, and we know a lot more about what this metaverse actually looks like and how it's being received. So just how is this transition going? And is Zuckerberg's big bet actually paying off? When people invested in uh, in Meta, say, five years ago, the idea is that you were invested in the social media giant, the so-called gatekeeper of that market. And what would happen is that when a new company would arrive at the market, Meta would just fork some hundreds of millions, buy it, and then integrate it into its ecosystem. This is Renaud Foucault, a senior lecturer in the Department of Economics at Lancaster University in the UK. Renaud recently wrote an article in The Conversation looking at Meta's transition and some of the challenges the company faces at an economic level. The way Meta is making money they're just selling one thing, like the, all the income of Meta is advertising. And what they need to have is to have all those users of social media and move them between their different services, try to monetize that content. And it's not a problem for them when they buy those young companies that don't make money. So when they bought Instagram, when they bought WhatsApp, those companies were not making money. But they started to make money by being integrated into, uh, into the Meta Facebook ecosystem. But then what started to happen, that there started to be some some sense of panic in uh, in Western countries, that if we let one big company like that buy whichever comes with a novel idea, first of all, they might kill some ideas. If they think it's not something they can monetize, they might just destroy it, so so-called killer acquisition. And even if they buy those stuff, they don't create the right incentives for innovation. So there was this idea, for instance, of uh, Google buying um, Waze, the, uh, the, the map system. So, of course, Google wanted to keep Google Maps. So at the moment they buy this, the incentive to improve that competing system is not really working very well. So for Facebook in particular, uh, the big, big, big idea was that the market should be contested. And so in Europe, there came uh, first a lot of... Uh, uh, say judicial um, procedures between the European Commission and Facebook for abuse of dominant position. And at the end, it led to something called the Digital Market Act in Europe. The Digital Markets Act has been in the works in Europe for quite some time. The European Union had been concerned about the market dominance of large tech giants, which can be considered gatekeepers to their respective industries. Meta owns Facebook, which has almost 3 billion users, and there's not much transparency as to how the algorithms on Facebook actually work, which is a major concern for business. To give you an example, in the media, Facebook actively went around and told media companies to invest heavily in video. I remember being at education sessions where Facebook staff would come into our organisation and they would tell us that we need to invest heavily in video because it's going to surface our content better on the platform. And so many media companies complied and invested significant money into growing video teams dedicated to making content specifically for Facebook. And then suddenly Facebook changed its mind and the algorithm changed and video wasn't surfacing in the same way that it was in the past. 
And because Facebook only provides a certain amount of transparency to the data on its platform, you only have a limited set of information in which to make business decisions. And the EU wants to change that. They want to allow third parties to interoperate with the gatekeeper's own services in certain specific situations. They want to allow business users to access the data they generate in the use of the gatekeeper's platforms. They want to provide companies advertising on their platform with the tools and information necessary for advertisers and publishers to carry out their own independent verification of the advertisements hosted by the platform. And they want to allow business users to promote their offer and conclude contracts with their customers outside the gatekeeper's platform. That wording is all from the EU's website. But the EU isn't the only government clamping down on Meta's market dominance. Australia has introduced legislation to force Facebook and Google to pay media organisations for the editorial content that is often shared and accessed via those platforms, and other countries are looking at similar legislation. So on the one hand, Meta is struggling with legislation in countries around the world that is designed to basically clamp down on its market dominance. And on the other hand, they're fighting to grow and expand as a company because they've basically reached market saturation. With almost 3 billion users, it's hard for the company to keep growing without innovating into new markets. So in the mindset of Mark Zuckerberg is this metaverse idea. So everyone wearing VR uh, headsets and living in this, you know, uh, augmented reality social media. I have no idea. To me, it sounds a bit crazy, but that's his bet. But he has to bet on something. He cannot just wait to be eaten alive by somebody else. Some 19-year-old high school dropout will come up with a better idea somewhere in the West and will replace him. So he has to put the money somewhere. So Facebook meta investors are extremely upset by that. There are a lot of letters from shareholders. It's like, why are you throwing, I think, already $100 billion into the metaverse? And I think the answer is, you know, you need to do something. And that's the best he can come up with at the moment. If you have a better idea, I think, drop him an email. Uh, In the meantime, that's all he can do. We'll be back with more of The Defrag in a moment. If you're enjoying this episode of The Defrag and you want to support the work that we're doing, head on over to our website, thedefrag.com, and become a Defrag member. You can get an ad-free version of the podcast, a sticker pack, a regular newsletter, and discounts to our merch. Plus, there's a number of other perks depending on your membership level. Becoming a member is really the best way to support the show. It empowers us to produce independent journalism and gives you the best of the podcast without all the noise. So head on over to our website, thedefrag.com, and become a member today. If you listen to Meta, they'll tell you that the metaverse is a really big deal and that many people are choosing to dive in and experience this virtual world. There are more people in VR than ever before. More creators building worlds. More developers building apps. More brands getting into virtual goods. And more companies getting into the metaverse. This is great to see. It's a sign that the future isn't so far away. But despite the company rhetoric, 
The data is suggesting that users aren't really embracing Meta's Metaverse offering. Horizon Worlds, the company's flagship universe for consumers, had an apparent target of 500,000 monthly active users. But the Wall Street Journal saw company documents indicating that the tally of active users is actually less than 200,000. The Wall Street Journal also suggests that the user base is actually on the decline and not increasing. I'll put a link to that story in the show notes below so that you can go and check it out. But despite some of the challenges in acquiring active users to Horizon Worlds, Meta is making some money from Quest headsets and the Quest store where you can go and buy experiences for the metaverse has apparently passed 1.5 billion in sales. But while that is a significant milestone, Meta has a long road ahead of it if it wants to make the metaverse mainstream. And Meta knows this is a significant challenge. So it's trying to find ways to bring people into the metaverse without them needing to own a VR device. We want everyone to be able to have the most immersive experience, but it's gonna be a while before there are enough headsets out there. So this will be a huge step for helping people experience it for themselves. So in the future, you might be able to interact with a conversation in the metaverse through an app like Facebook Messenger. But at its core, the metaverse is about mixed reality experiences. And Meta introduced the Quest Pro, a new device that allows developers to control the immersion level. So the experiences you have could either be completely in VR or could incorporate the real world. Today we're seeing about 16 million Quest 2 VR headsets in circulation, so it's definitely you know, not at the level of billions of mobile devices, right? But we're seeing um, a comparable market penetration as you would like a computer, sorry, a gaming console. And so it's not necessarily the product or device for everyone, but I think if you're a gamer or you're actually into some of these new avenues, it's kind of opening up some different applications. This is Trent Clues-DiCostello, the CEO of Foria. Some of the practical use cases that we're seeing emerging, um, some, one really beautiful one that I wouldn't have anticipated, but is VR fitness. Exercise is a really interesting space. Um, another is, is like productivity. So Meta's coming out really hard at the moment to try and paint a picture of what the future of work looks like. And so I think um, being able to have you know, a workstation literally in a headset and a laptop you know, it won't be long until someone's at a cafe <laughs> multitasking over a coffee. Um, I think where we want to take it as a studio is we, we don't expect there to be, you know, a device in everyone's homes. We don't think everyone's going to have a headset in the short term. So what we think the, the avenues are, if you look at really simply enterprise, um, but more so in the space where it has the greatest impact. So I think like education is going to have a profound um, benefit received from these immersive tools. And so I think um, you can imagine, you know, you could read it in a textbook or you could experience it firsthand. And I think that embodied cognition is a really powerful tool. So VR in school, I think, will be really exciting. As a studio, Foria makes a lot of mixed reality experiences. And for the launch of the Quest Pro, Foria worked with Meta on a new experience called Spatial Fusion. So yeah, Spatial Fusion, it actually started uh, a few months ago. Um, some of our partners at Meta from the WebXR team approached us and they were like, hey, we have a new headset coming out pretty soon, um, the Quest Pro. And it has this amazing ability to have 
full um, mixed reality pass-through in color. And so they wanted to explore that and think about how it might support um, different types of developers, such as Foria, to then create new types of experiences. So they primarily wanted to create a technology showcase and look at some of the features that are now possible um, over the web through mixed reality. And so some of the key ingredients that you'd see, um, the features are, are surface detection. So the idea is if you're having a blended experience in your environment, you want objects to bounce off the walls, right? It needs to have physics woven through it. And then if you leave the room and come back, your headset needs to understand where you are and then realign and reconnect with all that digital content in your space. And so we had some of these key features and then we're looking at a story that could kind of contain and demonstrate what's now possible and built out this, this idea where you're in a room, you've got a mixed reality headset on and you see a little kind of portal on your wall and you go out to investigate it and then all of a sudden the portal bursts open without realizing you've torn a, um, a rupture in the space-time continuum and then all this space debris starts flying out of the portal into your space, bouncing off the walls um, things breaking all around you and then all of a sudden you see a little spaceship floating in your environment and it's calling out for help and it needs you to use um, the harness the gravity effectively to grab all these objects and reassemble it and then once you fix the spaceship you transport inside it and what's really cool is you're actually seeing this happen all around you in your real environment and mixed reality but then when you jump inside it's actually a virtual environment because on the Quest Pro, you can kind of transition between the real world and the virtual world in some really magical ways. So what makes for a really good mixed reality experience? Yeah, mixed reality is definitely a, a new frontier. It's still really very much early days in terms of what's possible. We've seen some amazing mixed reality experiences in the past. Uh, our favourite one here at Fourier is one from Magic Leap called Tanundi. And what's really quite awe-inspiring is there's elements where the headset actually scans and maps out your environment and so the first benefit in mixed reality is a contextual experience right so you literally can weave your surrounding environment into the narrative other pieces that i think make it really key so it is a new frontier so from a user's perspective it's not the most intuitive you know it's not like tap to continue on your phone you're now in this open environment. So how do you create like a really simple linear user journey that makes it straightforward for anyone, whether it's your grandparents or some children to pick up this experience and jump through? In the case of Spatial Fusion, there's a bit of a narrative that goes along with the experience. Uh, you have to assemble the spaceship from all of this sort of flying debris that's around the room. And then once you sort of get into the spaceship, you have to spin this tokamak reactor to power the entire spaceship. And it's a really kind of hands-on interactive experience that just kind of makes sense. If you want to see more about Spatial Fusion, then head across to our YouTube channel. The link is in the episode show notes. And then I think um, the last piece is, is actually just like a, a sense of realism. So trying to find a art direction that feels um, yeah, the form is actually kind of embedded within your space. You know, you don't want to look at something that's so blaringly obvious that it isn't a real object. And so how do you have lighting and reflections and textures that feel like it's a little bit embedded in situ. And so I think once those experiences become much more seamlessly melded, uh, where it feels like you are interacting with an object in your physical space, it's gonna be much more compelling, I think, for the users and how they can actually harness uh, mixed reality as a new medium. 
So this is an important moment. Virtual reality isn't some obscure hobby anymore. Millions of people use it to play games, work out, collaborate, or just have fun. Everyone from the newest indie developers to the most established tech companies are getting into this space. But for virtual reality to really reach its full potential, we need to get to the point where the 200 million people who buy new PCs each year for work can do some or all of their work even better in the metaverse. At Connect 2022, Zuckerberg really pushed this vision that people wouldn't need to own computers. You would just have a VR headset, you'd put that on at the start of the day, you'd get your entire workspace in front of you, and that would be your computer. And this perhaps gives us a little bit of an insight into where Meta is going as a business, because there's not a lot of companies making VR devices. So if Meta can get enough Quest devices into people's hands, then it can become effectively the Apple of the metaverse, the hardware manufacturer that not only makes the devices, but controls the entire ecosystem. But the technology where it is right now is not at a point where you could just put on a headset and work from these virtual displays on a day-to-day -day basis, despite what Meta wants you to believe. I suppose if Zuckerberg's vision that, you know, we're all going to be working in in this kind of like mixed reality environment, like we don't need displays anymore, we're just gonna put the headset on and now we get like the ultimate workspace. I, I guess if that reality you know, happens down the track, everyone's going to look back and go, actually, he was on top of this. He was a real genius, uh, as you say. It might absolutely happen. It's just that maybe I'm old and grumpy and I don't see it. <laughs> Wait, I mean, would you would you do that? Like, would you, would you put on a, you know, VR headset and, and work in the metaverse? Like, spend your whole day there? What for? <laughs> <laughs> what should I do there that I cannot do now? That's more my question. Uh, I try to avoid as many Teams meetings as possible. The only way we do Teams meeting is because we can turn off the camera and do something else. When you have an important meeting, you don't do it in Teams. Uh, it's really like, I can see why in some circumstances, people who have difficulties to have access to education, it might be somehow an improvement on online teaching, etc. cetera. Uh, maybe as a development project, it's a fascinating uh, development project, but in the end, my maybe completely incorrect feeling is that you need to, to, to tell something emotional to people about like, oh, look, you could do that. At the moment, they tell, oh, you could go into Roman antiquity and see a speech of Marcus Aurelius. Sure, it reminds me of high school when we all enjoy sitting down in a classroom for half an hour watching a movie on some history channel. How different is it somehow? Oh. 3D experience. Yeah, I did that when I was 12 uh, with those 3D glasses. So what's actually novel? Like, we're still not wearing 3D glasses when we watch movies, no? This failed. Uh, Google Glass failed. All those things have failed. Maybe this one will succeed, but you need a reason to do that. How long do you think Meta can go down this road with, like, having the metaverse as being, like, the, the core of what they do before... I mean, obviously there are questions already being raised, but, you know, I guess before pressure mounts on on Zuckerberg to actually stop, you know, to put this to one side and refocus back on Facebook. I guess a lot of it is about branding. What they do under the name Metaverse is what everyone does under the name Research and Development. When you do Research and Development, typically you're trying novel ideas, you're trying to develop novel products. 
that's what they're trying to do. They bundled everything together under this brand name Metaverse. I think what is possible is that they will do other research and development under that name and again, maybe come up with something great. What does it actually mean in practice to switch research and development to Facebook? What do you mean? Like improving the like button? Uh, what can they really do in terms of innovation to that core product that is already quite old, established? Again, that has older users, established users that I think might value actually some form of continuity in the product. I don't think the 65-year-old people using Facebook every day, I'm not sure they want it to turn into some form of TikTok. They might very much value what they see, the way they interact. So no, they, they have to invest in innovation. Everyone does it. A lot of investment in innovation is a failure. It's always been like that. The only difference now is that the failure can be much more consequential than in the past because you have to invest in your own product and you cannot simply buy the products of the other. But they just lost this other possibility. So the only thing they could do is to stop investing altogether, say, we reap the money and then we close down in 10 years. But who wants to do that? What do you love about this? You've been working in the space for quite some time now. So what do you love about it? Yeah, I absolutely love what I do. It's it's a really, it's a privilege to do the work that we do here in Foria. Um, I love the team that we get to work with. Like we have a wonderful rambunctious mixture of individuals from all walks of life and I think the the diversity in this space is really open um, the fact it is a nascent new industry you know it doesn't maybe have the um, old and kind of you know timely more um, traditional structures and so it is an open canvas for anyone I think to kind of shape their own career and destiny in this space and that's really what we've been doing here at Foria like we're based in Melbourne but we're working with you know folks all across the world. We're doing some amazing, I think, world-leading stuff. And then the last piece is like with these amazing people and these really exciting emerging tools, we just want to harness them for good. And so we talk about it a lot as, as extended reality for good. And we think about how you know these tools can really help benefit people in really challenging circumstances. You know, what if you're in a hospital for four months? What would it feel like if you could just put on a headset and go out to a rainforest for an hour and just relax there? Um, what if you maybe struggle to empathise with, you know, someone, um, you know, of another gender? Could you have an embodied experience to feel, you know, the vulnerability of walking home at night as a woman? And so I think that the capacity and the power of the tools is really exciting. I think there's so much untapped potential in terms of where we can take it. Um, I really feel like a responsibility for us here at Foria to really lead and be the change that we want to see in the world. And I feel like we're equipped, like we're ready um, to roll the dice in some of these big moves and, yeah, change the game. So I'm really excited for that. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, don't plan to slow down anytime soon. And really feels like things are only just getting heated, started. You know, we were off the back of the pandemic. I think we've leaped forward in the way that we think about these tools and mediums. And I think the next five, ten years are going to be the most critical decade of our generation as species. And so what better way than to look at new tools and think outside the box? And that's where I think XR is really uniquely positioned. And I feel like as a studio here at Foria, yeah, we have our, we've been at it for eight years now. And so I think we're ready to step up and actually yeah, lead. Looking forward to that.
The Defrag is a production of Lawson Media. The show today was produced and hosted by me, Christopher Lawson. If you'd love to support what we're doing here at The Defrag, then I encourage you to head across to our website, thedefrag.com, and consider becoming a member. You can sign up for a free newsletter, or there's paid plans where you can get an ad-free podcast feed, access to in-person and live stream events, and a sticker pack. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. The link is in the show notes. That's all for today. I'll speak to you soon.